That's awesome. Hey, well, last week, um, if you weren't here, well, everybody was here last week, uh, but we began this new series called Waste Management, where all month long we'll be asking this one question, it goes like this, how do I avoid waste in my life? And that's a big question. How, how do I avoid waste in my life? The biggest question, the biggest fear I have in my life is not how do I avoid a hard life or a risky life or a painful life. My biggest fear is um, that my life won't mean anything, that it won't really matter that we were here, that we'll come to some point between now and the end of our life and discover that my life's kind of like a bad movie and I've been hanging in there thinking it would change on its own and maybe get better on its own, but I'm starting to realize that if there ever was a reason or a purpose or a point for my life, I think I missed it. Or worse yet, I've kind of woken up and discovered, I think I'm spending my life on the wrong things, which by definition is a wasted life. And here's what Jesus taught us last week. If you're here, it kind of goes like this, that everything, underline everything, either ends up in a, a junkyard, a landfill, or a cemetery. Everything ends up there. Not because um, we did something wrong or made a mistake or didn't do something right. Um, n- not at all. It's, it's, it's not, not because of that, but because Jesus taught us that even at their best, those things don't last. Even if we do everything right, um, eventually everything wears out, breaks, rust, makes a mistake, moves away, leaves us, or dies. And Jesus says this, and he says, if you, if you make the focus of your life, if you make those things the purpose and the point of your life, and along the way you miss the main focus or the main purpose or the main point of your life, he says, and it's a warning, you're going to end up with nothing, total loss or a wasted life. Well, what is it? That's the big question. Last week is, what is the main point of my life? What is the main purpose of my life? And here's where we landed. A guy named Paul said it this way. He said, my life. Uh, for to me, <laughs> look at this. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die, it's, it's good. It's gain. Well, what do you mean by that? He, he means this. He says, I've come to this realization that everything that I have in my life, everything in my life, from my body to my occupation to my money, my, my opportunities, my, my relationships, my friendships, whatever, they're all from Christ, and they've been given to me to be used in such a way. He used the word exalt, and we kind of we translated that to d- display Christ. If my life's a movie, I want him playing on my screen. Meaning this is, I, I want to live a life that you can make correct assumptions about Christ by, by looking at me. Well, what's that look like? It means this. I might have some money, a lot of money, a little money. That doesn't really matter. I want you to know my life isn't about money. My life's about Christ. And because my life is about Christ, now watch how I spend my money because it's very different than if Christ wasn't my life. See, I, I might have good health. I might have bad health. Watch how I display Christ in my life. I might have freedom. I might make a mistake and end up in jail. But watch how good Christ is. See, to live is Christ and to die is gain means the, the purpose and focus of my life is to live my life in such a way that Christ looks good on me. So whatever I do, he looks great. And here were all the applications last week. Because Christ is my life, watch how I treat my wife. Watch how I raise my kids. Watch how I treat my parents. Watch how I spend my money. Watch how I do my job. Watch how I treat my friends. Watch how I treat my enemies. Because Christ is my life. Watch how I express my sexuality. Watch how I go, how I go through bad times. Watch how I, I face my own funeral. See, whatever I do, I'm going to do it in such a way that fulfills the main purpose of my life. See how good Christ is? Later, a guy, the same guy, Paul, he says it this way. It's the same thing, a little bit different. Here's another famous verse in the Bible. It goes on your refrigerator door. It goes like this. He said, I can do everything through him, through Christ who gives me strength, which I always thought 
meant this. Because every guy that ever won the Olympics and got a gold medal quoted this verse. And everybody that ever won the election or won the this or won the that or won the game or whatever, they put a mic in their, in their, in their face. And if they're Christian, they said, well, I just think I can do everything that Christ gives me strength. So I thought it meant if you have enough faith and love God enough, you'll win all your races. I really did. I thought if, if, if Christ is your strength, you'll win every argument. You can, do, you can do anything, climb any mountain, whatever, as long as Christ is your strength. You know, the sky's the limit. It doesn't mean that at all. Paul's actually explaining how he, how he can make it through hard times as well as good ones. When he says, I can do everything, here's what he's talking about. I, everything includes when I have enough to eat and when I'm starving to death. I can do that through Christ who gives me strength. When I have a place to live and when I'm homeless. When I'm healthy and when I'm sick. See, I can do health and I can do cancer. How are you going to do that? Christ will give me strength. That's what it means. I can do marriage and I can do divorce and I can do singleness for the rest of my life. How are you going to do that? How do you do that? Christ gives me strength a little bit every day. I can handle winning and, you know, I'm not devastated when my team loses. How? Christ gives me strength. See, the purpose of my life is to live in such a way that I display that I actually believe Christ is good and that you can actually trust him to take care of you in every area of your life, even and including my death. How good is God? That's what Easter was about last week. See, God is so good and loves you so much, he did everything necessary to pay for the mistakes of our life and reconnect us back to God so we never come to the point going, I think I wasted my life. So the rest of this series that Scott and I are going to be kind of working through really is about what would that look like, an unwasted life? What would it look like? What would my life look like if, if I actually believe that Christ is good and I can trust him? Would, would my life look different? If I really believe Christ is good and he'll take care of me, if you really believe that, would you do things differently? If you really believe he'd be there for you tonight and tomorrow, would you make your decisions differently? Would some things change? If I absolutely, I want to make absolutely sure that I never come to a point in my life later down the road where I have to say, I think I missed the point or I missed the purpose of my life. If I never want to say that later, what, what would I do different tonight? And I'm not going to tell you what the answer to that is. I can't answer that for you. But what we are going to do tonight is, is look at a truth that Jesus taught. And then you and God can go home and you can work it out and you can wrestle with God all week long about what that so what is for you. And this is a good truth, but it's a hard one. I can just guarantee that some of you are get really excited and some of you get really ticked off in the next you know, 30 minutes. Because if, if you take this to heart, it, it, it'll, it'll mess up your life. It won't waste your life, but it'll rock your world. It really will. You know, this past weekend, uh, people have asked me, how many people were here for Easter? 14,876. That's how many people were here for Easter. But that's, I think that's too many, so this teaching, I think, is going to take that number way down, okay? <laughs> so some of you are going, well, they're going to another church if that's what he's going to talk about. But here is this truth, and it's really timely since April 15th just passed, and it's a big tax day. But it goes like this. This is, a, this is the truth we're going to unpack this month. Here it is. Ready? Everything you have belongs to God. And that's enough, all right? But everything you have, that I have, belongs to God. And here's the hard part of that, because we can all hang with that. And one day, he will demand an account for what you did with it. Oh. I can hang with the first part. The second part, hmm, that's a little awkward, right? Everything that I have belongs to God. And one day, he's going to demand an account for what I did with it. What do you mean by everything? You might want to write this down. It means everything. Everything. What's that include? Everything. Everything. Your possessions, your abilities, your relationships, how many minutes you have left to breathe on planet Earth, all have been given to you. And the word we're going to look at that God uses tonight is actually entrusted to you by God. And eventually there will be an audit. What would you do with God's stuff? Now before we go any further, let me just clear up one thing so just kind of everybody takes a breath. What we're going to talk about tonight has nothing to do with heaven and hell. 
okay? We, we, we covered that last week, okay? Meaning, uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, if you do it right, you go to heaven, and if you screw it up, you go to hell. Eh, no, that was taken care of last week. If you have faith in what Jesus did on a cross, was buried, and then rose again on the third day, took care of your sin, you don't have to worry about doing anything right or wrong or making mistakes, okay? That's been taken care of. You are permanently connected to God. This has nothing to, to do with that. This is about now that you're connected to God, what would life look like? If you understand this, this Jesus guy that we talked about, that if we looked into his face and saw the, what he was like, and then you kind of saw who you were, what would that look like? Not so that you'll be saved, but now that you're saved and you're connected to God, what would a life like that look like? And Jesus told a story that kind of illustrates, this is how you see your life, or this is how he wants us to see our life when we, or now that, we're connected to God. It goes like this. It's found in Matthew, which is one of the very first biographies of Jesus. If you have the Flatirons Bible, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, get one, okay? They're free, all right? They're free. Somebody donated money just to make sure everybody has enough Bibles. And so get one on your way out because there's some really good stuff in here that you're going to go home and go, Did he, does that really mean that? And you want to circle it and you can't take the screens home with you, so, but you can take a Bible home, all right? So Matthew 25 goes like this. And we're going to go really slow tonight, all right? But I'm going to talk really fast so you'll still get out of here on time. There you go, okay? So, big babies. So, here we go, right? Again. Again, it, and we're going to talk about it all night, okay? Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. It. What are you talking about, it? It refers to two things. It'll be like this. Number one is, it is, this is what it would look like if you lived connected to God. This is what it would look like if you get Jesus. This is what it would look like if you really lived as Jesus as your leader, as your king, as you, as you saw life through this lens, okay? This is what it will be like. And the other it, number two, is this is what it will be like when you have that but God moment in your life. This is what it will be like. Um, this is what it will be like when that audit happens, when you stand in front of God and give an account for something. The question is, what, what, what is it I have to give an account for? Look, look back at this verse, okay? Verse 14 again. Again, it, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Here's the, the answer, okay? The accountability. What you did with, and if you have your Bible, underline this, his property. His property, okay? Uh, that he, the king or the master here, entrusted to you, you being the servant of the king. And that word entrusted there obviously means I trust you with this, okay? I, entrusted means to trust. But I looked it up and actually the literal translation is to hand something over to determine its fate. I'm going to hand, it's like, it's like turn somebody over to the cops or somebody, turn it over to a jury or their peers or turn it over to a judge or something like that. You put them in that, you decide if they live or die. You, here, you, I'm going to entrust you, you decide the fate of how this thing goes, where it ends up. And by the way, I'll be back to check on your decision later, all right? So that's what it is about. So here's, here's how he does it. He's about to leave on a journey. He calls his three servants in. Now, here's what he does. To one of the servants, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents of money, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, okay? So he's handing out money. Three things here, okay? First of all, Jesus, in the story he's telling, he's using money as an example. A talent is a, you know, go back 2,000 years. A talent is a Roman measurement of money, okay? I don't know how much it was. Let's call it 1,000 bucks. I'm making it up, but just go with it, okay? So he handed one guy $5,000. He handed another guy $2,000. He gave another guy, you know, $1,000, whatever that is, okay? But he, he uses money, I think, here because it's the easiest one to apply. See, Jesus, over and over, more than anything else he talked about, he talked about this. 
His biggest competition for your heart is not the devil. His, his biggest competition for faith, who you say, I trust this to take care of me, is money. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this, if you can get to the point where you trust me to take care of you better, more than you trust your money to take care of you, everything else in your life is a piece of cake compared to that. And we just know that's true. If I could actually say, God will take care of me, and money is secondary to that, we would be so far ahead of the game. So he is talking about money here. So, but the second thing is, don't get hung up on that. Okay? Don't get hung up on this. He's talking about money here, but remember, we're looking for a truth that applies to everything. Certainly includes money, but whatever your talent is applies here. See, whatever God has given you applies here. See, we've all been given a, a talent of something, all right? Some of us have been given a talent of music, you know? Oh, that's not me, but it's Jenny, okay? Uh, you've been given a talent of, of singing. Of, some of you have the talent of writing, of public speaking, uh, of teaching. When you teach, people go, I'd like to hear what you have to say. You have that talent. Some of you have a talent of leadership. You didn't really ask for that, but all your life you look behind you and there are people going, we'll go where you go. I mean, that's just, that's just leadership. Some of you have been given the talent um, of, of influence. You know, you're, you are a pebble and your ripples affect a lot of people. Some of you can coach people. You have the talent of coaching people, either little kids in, in Little League or, or coaching people in, in whatever. You have an ability to reach into somebody's life and bring something out of them that they, don't, they didn't, couldn't do that until you did that. Some of you have a talent of, of intelligence. You know, you didn't really ask for it. You're just the smartest, you know, person in the room. All right? Um, some of you have this talent of logic, of technology. All right? Again, that's not me. You're, some of you have a talent of taking a ball, and you can put it anywhere you want, through a hoop, in a goal, or in a little hole, whatever. All right? You, you just have a talent to do that. A talent is a measure of anything. And if that's true, how about this? Some of you have been given and trusted a certain measure or talent of sexuality, of romance, of, of, of attraction, of, of flattery. Your talent is relationships. I have a measure of friendships in my life. I have a measure of relationships. I, I have this many friends. I, I have a talent of friends. I, my marriage, this is my, I have a talent of marriage. Whatever your talent, whatever you have from, I, I have this many children to, I have this many employees, I have this many dollars or whatever, um, whatever it is has been entrusted to you to decide its fate. Does that make sense? Which leads me to the, to the third one. Whatever it is, it has been entrusted to you by the person in charge of determining how many it's you get. Does that make sense? Whatever talent you have, the reason you have that talent is apparently, at least according to Jesus in this story, there's someone who hands them out. All right? Who decides who gets what and how much based on a standard, according to the story, that he uses by saying, you have this much ability, so I'm going to give you this much talent. And by ability, he doesn't really say, here's, how, here's the standard of, of what I'm looking for. But if we keep reading, we're going to find out that it is possible to get more talent of something and to get whatever talent you have taken away. So let's read on, see how that works out. So, the man who had five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. All right, so he had 5,000 bucks, he went and did something, now he's sitting there with 10,000 bucks. Okay, does that make sense? So also the one with two talents gained two more. Now it's interesting, look back at those verses there in the program, right? Jesus changes the pronouns. I've read this hundreds of times. It kind of clicked for me this week. Up to this point, it's his ma the master's property. But once he hands it to the people, they, it was theirs. He took his talent and went and invested it and leveraged it, all right? Apparently, when the master hands something to the servant, it really is the servant's to do with what he wants. It's not like the, the, the master sticks around and micromanages and says, no, 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 okay, yes, no, 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 yeah. He just says, 
All right, until I get back, it's, it, it's yours. Kind of like an investment broker or a stockbroker or a money manager. Say you have, you know, I've got this money, and you go, you know, to that, to that agency, and you say, here, you take care of my money, and that, the, 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 the guy, the, the money manager takes the money and invests it in this and takes care of this and puts it to work to make more, but it's not his money. And you know how you know it's not his money? Because if you ever go to that place and go, hey, how's my money doing? And his response is, I don't know. Or, well, you gave that to me. I, I spent it. I bought myself a car with it. I'm going to make it really clear that that wasn't your money to begin with. We're going to have a hard conversation. Even though I, I handed it to you and said, take care of it for me, it was still my money. And that's clear to those first two guys. I'm taking care of my master's property. The third guy, not so much. Look at this, verse 18. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid what? His master's money. See, he didn't make the change there. Apparently, this guy never made the connection that, oh, this is mine to take care of. No, he, he never took responsibility for it. He just, he did nothing with it. Dug a hole, put it in the ground, and it just sat there. Now, let's go back to the story. After a long time, and I think that's important because this is not just like, you know, the following day, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled, to settle accounts with them. The man who had the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents? See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful, trustworthy with a few things? I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me, you know, to determine the fate of those two talents? See, I, I gained two more. I doubled, I doubled your money. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Both these guys realized, the way they saw it, the way they, they viewed their life went like this. What has been entrusted to me is temporary. And it's been given to me for a purpose, a reason, to leverage and use and spin in such a way that one day I'm going to stand in front of my master and he's going to ask for an explanation. What would you do with my stuff? And I want to be ready to stand there and show my master what I've done with his talent that he loaned me. And the result, and you've got to think, this, this is a good day to stand in front of your master. To have your master look back, to see your boss look back, to see your king look back at you and go, way to go. Well done. Good job. You've been faithful with a couple things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of a lot of stuff. I think it's interesting that he doesn't say, you've been faithful with a few talents, now I'm going to give you more of the same talent. I don't think he limits it to that. You've been faithful with this, now I'm going to give you this. See, it could be you've been faithful with a few dollars, I'm going to give you a lot of dollars, but it could also be this. You know when you were through college and you were really faithful and really disciplined with your money? You're going to be a great dad. Does that make sense? You were really faithful with your family, you know, and raising your kids and taking care of this and whatever, all right, because of that. I'm going to trust you with a company. You were really great with your company and you were honest when the economy tanked. You were so good with your employees and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to let you lead a country. You understand? It, it doesn't have to be apples to apples. I, and I don't know if the servant, you know, knew the master would give them more if they doubled whatever, but all we know is that those, those guys knew that whatever had been given to them, it was still their masters, and their responsibility was to leverage it in such a way that they could give it back to their master with great return. And the fact that they got more or got more trust or more things, whatever, that was icing on the cake, but that's not why they did it. Let's keep reading the story because it's not all that way. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, 
Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. See, I know the kind of man you are, Master. You, you, you somehow, and I don't know how you do this, you're like the magic man or something, you find stuff, you make stuff happen that nobody else can make happen. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how you do that, but I know this. I'm not going to mess with you. So here's what I did. I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, um, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you know what I'm like. You know what I'm capable of. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. See, servant number three looked at life through this perspective. Oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm afraid. I'd rather do nothing than mess something up. So I'll just, I'll just do nothing. I wonder what he was afraid of. I'd say the same thing that paralyzes me. I think my biggest fear uh, when I'm taking risk and going to try new things or whatever is I'm afraid to fail. Aren't you? A fear of failure. I mean, look back at verse 24. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. Master, listen, I, I know. Listen, I... I can't do anything, but I know that you have the ability to make things happen that normally happen, so if you want anything to happen, you're going to have to do it, and I'm just going to sit here. In church world, for you that are new to church, we call that the will of God. And don't get nervous. I'll explain that, okay? If it's the Lord's will, it'll happen. When, when what we really mean is, I'm so afraid to do anything. If God wants it to happen, he's going to have to make it happen. If it doesn't happen, it's not my fault. Blame God. It must be his will. See, we're so afraid that because we might not do it perfectly or it might not be easy, we don't do anything at all. And we just sit there and go, God, if you want it to happen, you're going to have to zap it. I mean, how many times have we been afraid to fail? Fear of failure kept us from trying or risking anything, right? I'm afraid to fail. It's kept me from trying some new things. Maybe asking somebody out on a date, applying for a mission trip, starting a new job. I couldn't do that. I could never go there. I could never do something like that. If God wants that to happen, he's just going to have to make it happen. Now, let me just clear it up for all the people that are sweating. Do I believe in the will of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. But just because God can do anything, waiting for God to do everything while you sit there and do nothing is a cop-out. Does that make sense? See, let's just, I'll just show you. I guess... God could, because he's God, he can do anything he wants. God could arrange for um, a widow in Afghanistan sitting out in the middle of a refugee camp outside of Kabul. He could arrange the universe so she found some money on the ground. And then there was a magic payphone. And she just put the money in the magic payphone and randomly hit some numbers. And it was your house. And somehow she was able to speak English. And she said, do you know anybody that knows how to sew that could come over here and teach me how to sew so I have a trade so I can feed my kids and they don't starve to death or have to beg on the streets? Do you know anybody like that? I guess that could happen. It really could because God can, 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 can do anything, right? And, you, and you, here's the thing. Is you come to church and go, it's a miracle. You know, I, I mean, praise God. I mean, God gave me a sign. It's probably not going to happen. It's more likely that God has already handed you a sign, a talent. What do you mean? You're part of a church that's already partnered with hundreds of women just like that. And maybe you just need to, after this service, go to the interest meeting about Afghanistan and listen, listen to what, ha- what God wants to say before you say no to God. Or you just wait for him to knock you over the head with some magic phone call, which isn't going to come because it's just, it's just not. What is he going to do? He gave you a talent. He gave you an opportunity and told you to take good care of it, leverage it, take advantage of it. Does that make sense? 
See, God can do anything you want. You've been sitting in your house and sitting in your apartment praying for a job and something like that, and I believe God's will may be for you to have a, a job, all right? And maybe God could arrange the universe so that a, a boss runs out of gas in front of your house, knocks on your door, looks at you and goes, I need you to come work for my company. It could happen. But probably what God wants you to do is put down the remote control and the video game controller and go to the interview. Both are the, God, the will of God. Does that make sense? See, I know some of you have been praying for some special person in your life, and I know God could cause your perfect soulmate to walk out of the mountains and find your apartment and ring your doorbell and tell you, God's told me to marry you. But it's probably not going to happen, and that's okay. One, because it's really creepy and you'd call the cops. <laughs> but can we just be honest? God has already given you your personality, your talents, and your abilities. And then he says... Take a shower, wash your hair, brush your teeth, put on some deodorant, and go ask her out. Both are the will of God. Does that make sense? See, fill in the blank. God has given you something, and you're afraid to do it, anything with it because it might not work out perfectly. So you say no for God before God ever has a chance to speak into it, and nothing happens, and then you blame God. And that's not called the will of God. That's called wasting your life. Look how C.S. Lewis puts this about taking risk with your life. He says, it may be a hard thing for an egg to become a bird, it's true. It's a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while it's still an egg. We're like eggs today, and we either must be hatched or go bad. If you keep reading the rest of the paragraph in that Four Loves of C.S. Lewis, the book, at the end of it, he says, you know, an egg, you stay in an egg long enough, it becomes your casket. It's just true. See, fear of failure and fear of risk keep us from doing a lot of things, but here's my other big fear. I'm afraid that if I take whatever... God has given me and use it in the way I think God wants me to, from my money to my abilities to my relationships to my sexuality. I'm afraid that God's going to take, take what I have and make me do stuff with it I don't want to do. I think that if I turn my life over to God, my life will be less happy and less fun and less exciting and less satisfying. And even if it sounds noble following God with everything I have, it sounds a little boring. Just to be honest with you, but it's not true. I'd even go so far as to say is if you sense that what God's telling you to do is boring, then either you're not hearing God right or it's not God telling you to do whatever you think it is you're supposed to do. See, and this is just me, all right, so you don't have to listen to this if you want, but I think the reason so many people are bored with Jesus and Christianity is we've reduced Jesus down to a list of all the fun stuff you can't do and all the hard stuff that you have to do. And that's so far from what Jesus and the first followers were all about. They lived a life that went like this. For me, to live, it's Christ. Every talent I have, every minute of the day I have, every opportunity I have, it's all about Christ. And I don't want to waste one more minute of it, even if, and including, it kills me. I'd risk that. You can call it a lot of things, you can't call it boring. Hebrews chapter 11, one of the best chapters in the Bible, read it later, is a list of, 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 of some of the very first followers of God. It goes like this, it says, because they just trusted God and thought he was good, it says that they conquered kingdoms. They made sure that abused, forgotten people found justice. They faced lions. They overcame flames. They escaped swords of those who tried to kill them. They routed powerful armies. They received back their dead again. Some were thrown in prison and tortured and crucified. They were given an opportunity to be released, but they refused to be released because they thought it would be better to die for what was right than compromise and be released. They gave up living in comfortable subdivisions to live in caves and deserts and huts. And you know what the Bible says about them? The world wasn't worthy of them. And I'm not saying... That if you're not living your life like that, you're wasting your life. But if all being a Christian is, is going to church, putting money in buckets, and trying to cut a few bad habits out of your life, it is boring, and I quit. But that's nothing like the life Jesus described when he said, come and follow me. See, I don't think that everybody needs to go work for a church. And I don't think everybody needs to go be a missionary. But I wish you could have been here last Sunday night. 
on our eighth service, you know, Easter weekend, our college-age servants, because, you know, I had plenty of time, and I threw all the stuff back in that I didn't have time because there was another parking lot that had to come in here, all right? And, and I, I threw all this stuff, and I wish you could have been in here. When I stood in front of about 1,300 college students, and I said this, the world has enough doctors, I mean, America has enough doctors, lawyers, and accountants. There's enough here. We've got it covered, but the world is dying under the weight of poverty and dirty water and malaria and AIDS and bad education and social injustice. I wish you could have been here when I, when I just threw out the idea that God may want some of these college students to leave the comfort of the United States and go spend time in a third world country. I'm pretty sure the, the room stopped breathing. I know they were alive, though, because from up here I could hear their hearts beating. I swear I could. And I think that the next generation, or maybe the current generation, the reason they're so bored with the idea of following Christ is we've castrated Jesus and made him some wuss who died on a cross so one day we could all play more golf and sip icy drinks and beachfront condos. And what Jesus says is if you get me and you understand me, then pick up a cross and follow me. Because if you hang on to your life, you'll waste it. But if you would lay down your life for me, even if everybody, including your parents, says that you're wasting it, Jesus says, if you do it for me, you'll find it. See, I, I could take you to some places in this world. I could put you on a plane tomorrow, take you to Africa where I know there's just one dentist for two million people. You, have, you, you can't decide which dentist you're going to go to. I could take you to corners of the world where you can make a difference. I'm telling you, it wouldn't be boring. If you're a girl, if you're a girl and you have just a little bit of medical training, come with me to Afghanistan. You're worth your weight in gold in places like Barakab where one in seven women die in childbirth because they aren't allowed to go see a male doctor and the reason they die is they bleed out because they're anemic and you could save their life by telling them how to eat more iron in their diet. Girls, you could save a life. It would not be boring. You want to make some ripples with your life? You want to make a difference with your life? I could take you to Ethiopia where you could teach English as a second language or better this. You could just study the Bible for an hour or two and stand up in front of 70 pastors who find out that you're going to teach a Bible study. They would walk two days to hear what you have to say because they don't know how to read. And when you teach them the Bible study, they think it actually is the word of God. And they'll go home and they'll talk to hundreds of thousands of villagers. This is what God says. It's not boring. It's leveraging your life in ways you never thought possible. I could put you on a plane tomorrow. I know some missionaries, families, who they went. I didn't go, they went. But they need a cook, <laughs> you know, and they need a nanny for their four kids. They need a school teacher to do the homeschool. They're out in the middle of nowhere. They need a handyman who's willing to come and live with them for a few months. Not forever. Just come and live with me for a few months and repair some stuff because I'm trying to raise my kids in a forgotten corner of the world. And I'm not asking you to go spend your whole life there or whatever, but maybe your vacation. Or maybe a week or a month out of your life to just go help some people. I know, I know some widows right now that if, if you would loan them $200, they could start a, a, a business. And in, in two months, they would repay your $200. They'd, buy a, they, they, they'd be able to feed their kids. They'd buy a, a decent wheelchair for their son, and they'd have the dignity that the Russians and the Taliban blew the hell out of. You want to make a difference with your life? It's not boring. You want to go there? Let's go. Because here's the thing is, there's two groups of people in this room right now, and both of your hearts are beating fast. There's some of you that your hearts are beating fast right now because you're going, God, I don't want to spend one more day wasting my life. I don't, I don't want my life to mean nothing. I want to use whatever talent, whatever that is. I, it's not a missionary, but it's something. I want my life to make an eternal difference in the world, and your heart's beating really fast. And then there's some people in this room, your heart's beating really fast because you're mad at me. There he goes again. Beating that drum about Afghanistan and Africa and running all over the world, helping people, when there are people right here in America and Colorado who need help. You're right. Great point. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? There are people right here in Lafayette that need some help. When was the last time you rearranged your finances to help a poor family here in Lafayette? When was the last time you offered to help some teenage mom and her medical bills? You go, I don't know any. Well, call the church. 
I can hook you up with a dozen. When was the last time you called a local underfunded school and volunteered to come in and help coach, clean, cook, tutor, mentor, just do anything? And by the way, Flatirons is involved in all of those things. I'm going to be really honest with you, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but nothing pisses me off more than having to listen to whiny Christians complain about what somebody else is doing with their talent while they sit on their butts and they don't do anything with theirs. And if that makes me mad, I cannot imagine how it makes God feel. Now, I, actually, that's not true. I do. Let's read the rest of the story. The master looks at this one servant and says, take the talent from him and give it to somebody else. Take the one talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Here's why. For everybody who has and leverages it right will be given more. And he'll have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. Do you see what a smart master does? Do you see what a good king does here? He says, I gave you that. Okay, if you're not going to use it the way I wanted you to use it and leverage it the way I wanted you to leverage it, give it back. I'll find somebody who will. Don't miss this. Even if it makes you mad. Even if you don't like it, you have to agree with it. If there is a God and he's smart and wise, he ought to do an audit and a giant redistribution, right? You ought to look at some of us, and I'll put myself in that category and say, give it back. I trusted you with my money, my talent, my influence, my ability, my opportunity, and you're wasting it. So here, give it back. You're being faithful with a little bit you had. You, you take this. I get a better return from you. Does that make sense? See, Listen. Listen to how he ends this story right here, verse 30. He's not talking about hell. He's describing what total loss in a wasted life looked like. He says, take that one servant who just buried it and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in the Bible, whenever it's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's a biblical description of a person who finds themselves at the point in their life with nothing but regret. And I had a shot and I missed it. I had my chance and I wasted it. See, the takeaway, the application tonight, it's not rocket science. It might bother you, it might offend you, but it's not hard to understand. It's hard to do and apply, but Jesus simply says this. Everything you have, whether you're in middle school or you're in this nursing home, everything you have, everything you're able to do, every talent that you have is a gift from God and it has been entrusted to you to decide its fate. Don't waste it thinking everything is for you and about you when the reason God gave it to you is because he wants to work through you. See, how do you apply this? How do you not apply this? Because if you begin to see the world and your stuff and your money and your abilities and your opportunities and your family and your whatever like this, it changes everything. Here's the, here's the application. Some of us need to get out of this room and go change our careers. Is your career evil? No. But do you want to spend 30 more years doing that? Well, maybe I'll change it someday. Well, all right. Some of you need to say, you know what, I got a, I got a window in my life. I can, go, I can go spend a year overseas. Some of you need to get up from this room as soon as the last song is over and go across the hall and go to the missions meeting. Yeah, I can't go for a year, I can't go for this, but maybe I can go for a week. And I know that not everybody can get on airplanes and go all over the world and help people and stuff like that, but we are all, everyone is called to be a part of it. So if you can't go, then work really hard at your job here in Colorado and make as much money as you can and then give that to the people that can go. You can be partnered with them that way. See, some of us, need to call a school on Monday morning and volunteer to help. You don't need flat irons to call the school for you. Call the school. See, some of you need to email Ron Barnes, our missions pastor, and say, I've got a couple hundred dollars. Loan it to an Afghan widow. Some of you need to call Michael Kane, our, our finance guy, and say, I've got a hundred bucks. If there's a teenage mom or a single mom out there that needs some help, give this to them. But this is not about money. Even though your money and your heart are always in the same place, this is about how do you see your life? Do you get it?
See, last hour, they're, they're, Buffy and Kylie, Kylie were here. They started a, a group for, for young moms. They get together at Starbucks and they knit. They get it. Now they're knitting baby blankets for the newborns in Barakab, Afghanistan. What are you doing? Well, I don't know. I never thought about knitting as a gift to God. Well, maybe we, maybe we should start thinking that way. You know, I, Bob, Bob and, and Patty Tunnell, they get it. They raced cars, and on the side of their car, they wrote barkob.com, started a website, and says, save a life today, really, and thousands of dollars are coming and being funneled to feed people all over the world. Like they could do a little girl over in Powerhouse who saved up her birthday money and gave $46 to, to feed a family in Afghanistan. $46, that's not much. How much have you given? Right? I know a guy backstage right now running our monitor board who wants to start a ministry to help moms who can't afford to get their cars fixed. And the only holdback is he doesn't have any money to pay for the oil and pay for the, for the supplies. But you do, right? See, I don't know what your talent is. I just know this. It's time for us to stop praying about if God can use our talent and start asking God, how can you use my talent? I just don't want to waste one more minute or talent of my life. Here's, here's the application. The best way I can say it is to quote this guy from about 150 years ago. Ian Bounds said this. You might want to write this down. Attempt such great things for God that without his help, they are destined to fail. When was the last time you did that? Let me ask you a different Have you ever done that? Have you ever jumped off the high dive? Have you ever jumped off the edge of the cliff and said, if God didn't catch me, I'm just done? Jump. I'm done. Isn't this a bothersome message? See, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing two songs. We're going to pray. And here's the prayer I challenge you. It's a dangerous prayer. It'll jack up your life. God, I don't want to waste my life. So I'm putting it on the table. What do you want to do with it? See, if, if you get this, if you see the world through this lens that Jesus described, this is what it looks like. You can't go to work Monday the same way you went to work Friday. You can't. You can't go to school. You can't go to baseball practice. You can't raise your kids and wake them up Monday morning or put them to bed tonight the same way if you see the world like this. And maybe the reason that you don't know what the point of your life is or the purpose of your life is, and I don't know you, but go with me on this, is maybe you've never prayed that prayer. God, what could you do with my life? Because he'll answer it. Tonight we have a meeting, just an interest meeting for Afghanistan. Not everybody needs to go, but some of you do. I'm going to let you in on something else. I can't wait for merge tomorrow night. There's going to be about 13, 1,500 college students in here, and they don't know this, so don't tell them, all right? But I'm going to have a meeting with them afterwards and just say, does anybody want to... Put their, put their life on the table? Does anybody want to, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it's a missionary. Maybe it's a, a youth pastor. Maybe that's, you know, just going and leveraging and going to med school and then not just, you know, making a lot of money in America, but actually going and helping some people that really need some help. And if they don't get some help, they're going to die. And it's for college-age students and those of us on the front, those of the, I'm not us, them on the front end of their life. But if you're old and you want to come, you can come too. Does that make sense? I just don't want God to waste my life. Now, we're going to pray. Um, this is important. This is important. And listen, I know, I know you're sitting there going, well, that's just, that's just meddling and that's just messing up my life. And I just came to church just to hear a nice, safe sermon to make me feel better. This isn't the right church for you. We want our lives to make a difference. And that's scary. So we better get on our knees and pray, right? So let's pray. We'll sing, and then we'll go home, all right? And maybe some of us will come back. (laughs)
God, um, there it is. Uh, I believe the American church has fallen asleep. And we think it's all about us and it's all for us. And it's like we're your favorite people or something like that. And you love us. I don't take anything away from that. But you, you've entrusted us with so much. And I'm afraid, God, that a lot of us, and I put myself in this category, has spent most of it on ourselves. And there's a world out there that is sinking under the weight of death. And we could make a difference. But we'd have to let go of some of our stuff and our time and our ability and actually leverage it for somebody else. And that's always uncomfortable. But it's not boring. It would be, it would be, to live like that would be Christ. See, God, if you really are everything, then we can do everything. Because you're everything, and through Christ, our strength. Here we go. So God, over these next two songs, would you just uh, whisper to our hearts, hear our whispers of prayer as we just ask for guidance and direction in our life? Would you bother us? Would you not let us go to sleep tonight until we resolve some things with you? We cannot do things the same anymore. Be our everything. In Jesus' name, amen.